Bruce All right. So today we are going to be reacting to a panel from VU Conference, which is Rich Wilkinson Jr.'s church, about classical Christianity, a conversation of theology. Now, why are we talking about this? Because I think a lot of times pastors, especially celebrity pastors, mega church pastors, are, are seldom heard out in long form, drawn out. The reason why I'm sitting down and reacting, there's a couple reasons I get to those in a minute, is because I want to allow them to communicate their thoughts, engage whether or not these things are congruent with scriptures, are there some incomplete things, are there some areas where they're a little fuzzy on, could be cleaned up, so on and so forth. And I think you don't really hear them in long form, and you don't really hear their heart fully. So we're going to be looking at this panel that you guys requested. We had folks reach out. Through Instagram, at least a dozen of you guys reached out and asked me to react to this. Also, I wanted to be clear that I am not the theology police. I'm not here to police anyone else's theology. I think that we are in a cleansing season within the context of the church, and I would hope that we would get back to a healthy, stellar place where there's flourishing and so much more. So that's kind of the premise for this. So we're going to be reacting to this clip. Now, why are we on a different set today? Well, because yesterday I flew in and flew out of Dallas, Texas in the same day. I had an amazing time with Tim Ross on his podcast. That's going to be coming out next Tuesday. So keep an eye out for that. We'll throw a clip of it on here to promote it as well. Incredible time. A friend of mine for the last probably about three years now. This is Dr. Alan Tennyson from North Central University. He's a professor of theology and, um, he and his team has really helped us a whole lot over the last two or three years at Vu Church. Um, we have so many people on our staff and our team that honestly, in many ways, have only been saved for a short amount of time, some of which have even gotten saved in our church. And they've got a heart to be a pastor. They've got a heart to be a leader. They've got a touch of God on their life. But there are some tools that you need in the tool belt as you start to pastor and lead people. And- Amen. Rich is owning the fact that folks need to be better trained up in theology and folks need to be equipped to process these things. That's where this conversation is coming from. I think that's beautiful. And I would hope that they would continue having brothers on that are maybe older, that maybe don't lick the part, that aren't dressed as cool, so on and so forth. And there's a lot of resources out there. I would love to see my brother Alan Parr, who went to Dallas Theological Seminary, in these circles, right? Guys that are rich in theology have audiences that they're speaking to to provide context. I would love to see uh, uh, folks from the apologetics community who are a part of these types of conversations. So I think Rich's heart is in, in a great place, and I hope that Pastor Rich would continue doing this stuff and also putting some different looking people on there because everyone here kind of the same avatar with the exception of Bianca, right? They're all kind of the same avatar. Cool, young, hip pastor, right? And so um, I love I love Pastor Rich's heart. So let's just jump in. One of those things is that we want to grow in our biblical literacy. Amen. How many of y'all know if you don't know the Word of God, you can't apply the Word of God? If you don't know the Word of God, you can't teach the Word of God. And so we've been trying to grow as a staff and a team, and Dr. Tennyson has helped us do that. And so in that— So here's something that's telling in that his heart's in the right place. I would think this is the basics, though. I, th- I, th- I would think we would get equipped in this as soon as someone's coming to the faith. We get through the basics of this theology. So the interesting part is that they're doing this kind of— at a conference later on in the process, which is interesting because it makes me think like, what are they, what is the discipleship process on a macro scale? Not necessarily a VU church. Cause like my buddy Ray Rock goes to VU church. I hear really good things about VU church. So I think 
that's that that kind of makes me go interesting. Like classical Christianity, these are things that I sh- I think should all often be talked about. The basics of the gospel, right? So on and so forth. So uh, let's let's keep watching. Here, I, I just wanted to take some time. We're gonna have some banter. Everyone's gonna kind of chime in and have conversation with us. But I wanted to kind of maybe just begin, if we could, with maybe just defining a couple terms that maybe get used in church a lot. That I wonder at times, do people know the weight of those words? And I think the first word I want to talk about is the word salvation. And uh, the theological word is soteriology, which is, you know, your doctrine of what is salvation? Like, how do we actually define Shout out to uh, Soteriology 101. Great channel, in my opinion. Dr. Leighton Flowers, another person I would love to see on one of these panels. Uh, I'm sorry, I mean, just like keep promoting, encouraging and putting people on the general panels. But um, uh, Soteriology uh, 101, great channel. We're going to start with Dr. Tennyson, and then we'll start kind of jumping in and move into some other things but can you just define salvation because we're all here and we're not having faith in faith we're not here doing ted talks this is a different thing let's talk a little about that so i would he said we're not doing ted talks which is interesting okay so i love everything his brother says find salvation this way it is the description of the total package of what god does for us in christ jesus what god is doing for us in christ jesus and what god will do for us in christ jesus because we haven't been resurrected yet so all of this fits under salvation not only that, look at yo, look at Judah's face. Judah's like, whoa. But it's from salvation that we get our identity. It's from salvation that we get our destiny. And in between those two, we have our worship and our ethics. Mm. So salvation teaches me who I am. It teaches me how to live. Come it on. teaches me what I live for. And it teaches me what my life is going to be at the end. So salvation encompasses all of that. Jeez. Now, I, I will say this, and I'm going to answer this just real quick. There are three questions that in theology we try to answer. You said soteriology. You said the big word. So I'm going to say something about the big word. We're trying to answer three questions. And the way I say this to my students is this. If you're ever walking down the street and out of nowhere I come and I tackle you to the ground and you look up at me and my first words to you are, don't worry, I saved you. Hmm. What's your first question? So when we use this word salvation, the first question people are going to have is, from what? Yeah. So this big word soteriology has to be able to answer the question, what are we saved from? But it also has to answer the question, what are we saved for? Come on. And then finally, how are we being saved? Yo, guns blazing. Amazing. Great answer. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. Again, kudos to Pastor Rich for having this together. I'm like, this is, this is good. This is, this is off to a great start. And the answer to all of that is going to revolve around Jesus. Very, very good. Bye. Okay. Um. Harley. <laughs> Why are we up here? <laughs> so I'm going to say is, why are we here? <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that first part, which is what, what are we saved from? And Judah, let's, let's kind of weigh into that and the idea of why are we saved and what do we need to be saved from? Okay, great question, right? This is the easiest teeing them up. Amazing, amazing question. I love it, okay? And, uh, yeah. Rich, I always tell my students <laughs> what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. This man is wearing, hold on, hold on, hold on. This man is wearing swimming trunks with, uh, with a sports jacket and a random blank hat. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, what's going on here, Judah? What's going on here, man, with some loafers? What's some loafers? What is happening here, my guy? He cracks a joke about it himself, so it's okay. He made a joke about it, so I can make a joke about it. Yeah, um, put some pants on, bro. Indeed, put some pants on, bro. Um, well, dang. Uh, well, dang. <laughs> man, 
I knew I should have paid attention to Bible college. <laughs> Shoot. So, should pay attention to Bible college. Okay, well, you know. Yeah. Picking up where Dr. Tennyson left off. <laughs> Just get to it. Um, you were saying what we're saved from. from uh, well, from ourselves, right? Um, we're killing ourselves. We're killing ourselves. And there's so many pictures of portraits and metaphors in the New Testament. One of the things I got real caught up with lately is that scripture that says all of the books in the world could not contain all the miraculous works of God. Now, what that means is in the text. So, we're saved from ourselves. Okay. And then he pivots to one of the things I thought about, and he and, and, and this is this isn't a bad point that he makes, right? Right? Like, but he kind of goes on this 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 tangent. So this is alarming, considering that you know we're we're talking about also basics theology, pastor, so on and so forth. We're safe from ourselves now. Um, yeah, I guess, sure. That's a thing we're safe from. Okay. Um, however, what are, what are we saved from? What do we say from? Well, I think we are uh, sinful people who, by sins of omission and commission, meaning areas we fall short of and things that we shouldn't do, things that we should have done that we didn't do, and things that we didn't do that we know we shouldn't have done, sins of commission. And because of this, we are in a sinful state. Right? Spiritually dead. And so what are we saved from? Um, well, if you're a sinner and you're a lawbreaker, eventually you're going to have to deal with the consequences of standing before a judge to deal with your sinful tendencies, okay? Your, your, your law-breaking abilities. And we always get this confused, like, God's so petty, you know? And it's like, well, listen, God, is, as a holy God, is a, has, a, has a high standard, and um, we don't live up to that standard, and a good judge has to judge sin. So Judah saying we're safe from ourselves, I think that's down the road. We're safe from the wrath of God. We're, we're, we're saved from the fact that in our natural state as people, uh, we're deserving of judgment. Right. And, and, and I know you always want to go to the, well, you know, you told a lie. Oh, God, that's, a, that's a pity. God. No, 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 no. That if we're honest with the things that we do do that we know are wrong, do do like that. And the things that uh, 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 we, we don't do that we know is right. And the things that our motives for even doing the right things, our thoughts, our mouths. Right. Uh, we're pretty wild, wicked people that even if you just look at it from a. Uh, uh, remove God from the equation and just look at like the state of mankind. Remove law, order, society, and like how is man left alone in his natural state? Man is naturally rebellious. Man is naturally a rule breaker, right? And so that's we're saved from being judged for that. So when he goes, we're saved from. You know, we're, we're, we're saved. He did. He did. He did. He did go to Bible college. Judah did go to Bible college. So, so, so we're safe from ourselves. Like I think that's one aspect of it. We're safe from the consequences of our sins. We're safe from the things that our sins entail. Yeah, I hear that, but a very not so good answer. I, th I think this is a really easy question, and I and, and and it threw me off when I heard that. Right. So let, let's. Um, and then he goes on this interesting tangent that I actually I don't have anything wrong with the tangent, but. 
technological age, we can almost contain any amount of information. So it, it, it's more of a, a point, and, and that is that, that uh, metaphorically, poetically speaking, uh, you cannot contain God. God cannot be contained. And so what it means is every portrait or, 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 or scenario or situation or passage that's recorded in Scripture. So you're talking about you know, why the, script, the Scriptures couldn't re retain everything that was written about Jesus and, and, and his miracles. It's for a reason to reveal to us the content and character of God, which is to say there's a lot left out that we don't know about, but what we've been given is for intentionality and purpose. For instance, I think the age of the characters, the setting of the characters, uh, the gender of the characters, the background of the characters is also that we see ourselves and what Jesus does through us, in us, around us, and for us, right? So I think you see people, like tonight I'll talk about the woman with the issue of blood. I don't think it's so much about Jesus healing people of their body, which he can and he will. I think it's more a portrait of what sin does. We are losing life constantly, steal, kill, destroy. There's a loss of life happening, and, and sin, uh, it, it's cannibalistic in nature. We're eating ourselves alive. That's cancel culture at its root is just sin, sin played out, and we're trying to heal ourselves and fix ourselves and solve ourselves, and so um, uh, we're going to eat each other alive, and so we are quite literally being saved from ourselves. I'm dying. I am a dead man walking, and that's why I think, Dr. Tennyson, what he said is so important because uh, we talk about, uh, the, you know, uh, D.C. talked about dying, you know, and if you tell someone they need to die to meet Jesus, and they don't know anything about what we know to be about the human condition, the loss of life, and death itself, and sin, and all of its implications, they're like, excuse me? And it's like being tackled on the street, and then a believer says, we just led you to Jesus. And they're like, no, you actually just broke up my day, and you interrupted me, and you're rude, you're crude, and you're weird, right? So we got a lot of work to do in telling the story of Jesus, because I think to Dr. Tennyson's point, we're telling people, Jesus wants to save you. And they're like, bro, I'm pretty good, man. Like, I don't think I, you know, you need that because you needed a crutch. I don't need that, right? So we're going to have to get biblically literate. We're going to have to learn more so that we don't repeat the same mistakes of each successive generation. So again, it wasn't the wrong answer. It just wasn't the full answer. And I think when you're omitting things like the basics of like, what do you need to be saved from? Fam, you're a wicked sinner. And a wicked sinner is going to have to deal with the consequences of their sin. You're a lawbreaker. You can't go on. Anyone that knows anyone, that any criminals knows that criminals can't go on breaking the law indefinitely. Some, at some point, they're going to get caught and they're going to have to face a judge. So he kind of gives an incomplete answer. And it's definitely a word salad. And he's definitely kind of like blah, 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 right? And it wasn't a bad answer. But it's if people don't know why you tackled them to save them. We should get biblically literate and we should articulate, bro, you, you're, you're a sinner and someone's going to have to deal with that sin. It's better Jesus deal with the consequences of that sin than you. And it's better that you take on his righteousness than you try to stand before God with your own righteousness. So it's like he, he gives us this word salad, which wasn't bad in and of itself, but it was an incomplete answer that, that, that I think actually assesses the very thing that he's seeing with people not understanding why they need to be saved. So I didn't quite understand that. I, th I think it was a very easy answer. And, and yes, to some extent, we are saved from ourselves. We are saved from the consequences of sins that we'll experience on this side of eternity. We are saved from just how whack we are without Jesus. All of that is also true. But, you know, to, to, to ignore the wrath and the judgment, I think, is is, is, is kind of kind of weird. Um, so, yeah, there's that. So he's saving us from ourselves. He's saving us from sin, which has a consequence. The scripture says in Romans chapter six, for the wages of sin is death. Maybe let's just talk a little bit, Bianca, about just this word sin and what this word means. And 
I, I like the idea of what Jude is talking about, that we're being saved from ourselves. And when you go all the way back to the garden, right, it's them trying to take God's status. It's them trying to fill themselves, reach for the fruit. Let me be like God. I don't want to receive from a good God. I don't want to trust in that God. I'd rather just take ownership into my own hands. Let's talk a little bit about sin for a moment. Such an easy topic to give me. Thank you. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. In its simplest form, sin is the very thing that separates us from God. We, our soul is created and fashioned to be close to our maker. And the thing that's going to separate us, the thing that's going to pull us apart. Uh, ultimately, I think if you spent any time in vacation Bible school or kids church, there's usually a visual of a, a gap. You know, here's Jesus, here's Christ, here's God. And then there's this big valley and then you're on the other side. And the cross is the thing that brings us over. I think in its simplest form, uh, sin is that gap. It's from the garden. It's the thing that has made us far from our maker, far from our purpose, far from our calling. So when we talk about this thing called sin, especially to unbelievers, it's hard to paint a picture of why Jesus is needed. But if we paint a picture of shalom, if we paint a picture of that wholeness that we were destined for and created. See, <clears throat> I, I, to be fair, I have no idea who this lady is. Uh, she seems super cool. She seems, she seems awesome, right? But she's like, sin is that gap. Sin, sin is what crosses over. And, and they go back to this idea of like, if we're trying to tell non-Christians what it, what it is, it could be confusing. And I'm like, well, yeah, because we're not telling them the full truth. We're not telling them the full truth. We're not telling them the full picture. Look at it this way. If you knew you had a terminal disease, uh, you had cancer, God forbid, you had cancer, and you your doctor comes in and he and he comes in and he gives you um, all this hope and all this fluff and all these good things that are going to come once you do this regimen. But he ne never tells you the reality of how serious this is that you need to deal with and follow this 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 protocol that's been laid out for you of treatment of the 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 actual uh, antidote of treatment and it's just yeah, 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 everything's going to be good, but, but you, 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 you have to tell people the full, complete picture. It's not just missing the mark. It's not just falling short. It's actually breaking the rules, the laws of God, that there are moral laws that God has for us. And when we break those laws, when we break those commands, we're sinning against a holy God. And, 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 and when you are judging by your own eyes and you're looking at things in your own eyes and by your own standards, well, well this world's not that good. Well, everybody does this. Well, everybody looks at porn. Well, everybody, da, 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 right? And it's like, no, 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 no. There's specific moral laws that are given to people to live by. It's called natural law. Romans 1 echoes it. St. Thomas Aquinas talks about natural law. Uh, Ecclesiastes talks about eternity being written on our hearts. We are born with an ability to understand that murder is wrong, period. Not killing in self-defense because people go there. No, murder is always wrong, right? Adultery is always wrong, okay? That there are natural laws in the way the universe should function according to God, the way things flourish, function, and we break those laws, we are sinners. And the thing about Jesus is when Jesus comes, he actually says, you know what? It's actually much worse than you thought it was. You heard that it was said, you know, don't commit adultery. I tell you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. You've heard that it was said, don't, don't murder. I, I tell you, if you hate your brother, you've murdered. Ephesians talks about, not, not, you know, we think about, oh, don't say four-letter cuss words. Don't say this word, this word, that word. Ephesians says, hey, anything un unwholesome that comes out of your mouth. Anything that unwholesome com comes out of your mouth. Let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouth, right? So the standard of God is always higher than we think it is. It's always higher. God is holy, meaning he's different. He's set apart. And so that to give sin, like, it's like, I I again, I love her heart, but it's like she had trouble articulating 
what I think should be very basic. And I think if we can get these basics, again, this is called classic Christianity. If we can get these basics of sin is breaking the laws of God. And when you break the laws of God, not only do you have to deal with that, the consequences of that, you also are offending a holy God. That's why this stuff is important, right? Um, and so anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's play some more of this. What our soul is longing for, we speak to— So she goes to, like, you're incomplete without Jesus, and you, you, you need Jesus to fill your soul. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. That's true. You know, and we heard that growing up, going to a seeker, mega church. I heard that your heart is incomplete, and the only thing that can fill you is Jesus. Yes, that's true, but we also need to know how wicked our sin is before a holy God. That need. Not, oh, you're depraved, turn or burn. You know, it's like you're going to hell. If we paint a picture— yeah, that, but that's also true. Like you are depraved, right? It should be what your life could be, what your life can be when united with Jesus, who removes that sin. That is the thing that's going to draw people in. I have been called and saved too. I think that if we paint that picture, that will be. A See, it's an and both. It's, it's, not, it's, it's a false binary. It's and both. It's and both. You are wicked. None is righteous, not one. I was listening to Ecclesiastes and it's in Romans. Right, it's at least in two places that I just recently read. I'm catching up on my book, Bible in a Year plan. Nobody's righteous. Your your good works are but filthy rags to God. So, you need to be saved from the wrath of God and the consequences of God uh, of facing a holy God. And yes, following Jesus leads you to a more fulfilled life on this side of eternity too. It's not a. It's, it's not either or. It's and both. Luring that'll be delicious to people who are hungry and desperate and thirsty for Jesus. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Very good. You're asking some very tough questions. Yeah, these are, these are hard questions. But but they're not, though, fam. I don't know who this gentleman is. I'm sure, again, love, these guys all probably are nice, and I'm not I'm not saying they're heretics or false teachers. These are probably all amazing guys I would love to hang out with, right? Yes. But these are not tough questions. These are should be unanimous about. Brothers and sisters, these are things we should be unanimous on. You got, theologians have been wrestling with these things for a lot of years. So so don't be fooled into... Theologians have been wrestling with what is sin and what is... What are we saved from? Mm, my brother, no. Thinking every one of these answers can be packaged in 90 seconds and now it's all buttoned up and you go on about your life. It's part of the wrestle. It's part of the sanctification. It's part of the growing. It's part of you maturing is, you know, you're 17 and you have some questions and then you're 37 and you're going back to that same thing and you're asking questions but you're seeing it from a different angle. That That's part of the process. So don't think there's something wrong with you that you're questioning or you're wondering or you're doubting. This is actually God inviting you to lean into him even more. We just, we just don't want you finding this out from google we just don't want you going to the wrong places to get this information that's why i'm so glad you're doing this pastor the way i would describe it is like these are foundational things and and, and foundational things in this regard basketball i love basketball i'm sitting here with a bum knee not on my main set because my knee hurts because i spent the whole day traveling all over dallas and it was amazing shout out to tim Ross. shout out to hafiz but basketball you learn the basics of basketball as a kid. You start learning uh, uh, how not to double dribble, that you can't pick up the ball and run with it. You start learning these basic things as a kid. And you start learning how to do a layup. To do a proper layup, you have to come off one foot and then your opposite hand and your opposite knee 
come up together. So you're imagining that there's a knee, there's, there's like a little line connected to it. So, so you're coming off the opposite foot, you're jumping off your left foot, your right arm and your right knee go up to do a layup. Okay, now, you learned this in, by like eighth grade, ninth grade if you're hooping. You should know it. You should know what a drop step is. You should know these things. These are, these are, these are the, the, the foundational things of, of what it means to play basketball. And anyone that didn't learn those things and steps on a court and wants to play a pickup game, you could quickly sh- figure, oh, yeah, they don't know how to do a layup. This man can't dribble. He's, you know, really like he's kind of, he's all over. He's athletic, but he don't really know how to play. So these are very foundational, basic things that aren't debated. It's, it's not debated on how to do a layup. It's not debated how to do a layup. It's, 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 it's just different types of layups, right? That you, you might do a, a, a drop step head fake layup, but it's a layup is a layup, right? And so, you have to learn the foundational things. And what happens is as you continue playing, you advance and you might try different things. You might get fancy and take the, right? You might slam dunk, you, right? But the basics are the basics. And so I think there's this thing, and I'm not saying this is what he's saying. So please don't, 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 don't hear me. But I think there's this thing where we don't want to master the basics. We just want to move on to the advanced things. And if you don't know how to master the basics of anything, Strength training, playing basketball, reading your Bible in context, the devotional side. Who's writing? Why are they writing? Who are they writing to? What does the passage say? What is the book about? When was this written? Who, right? If you don't know the basics of studying the Bible, you don't just start to advance because then you look goofy by maybe being the naturally athletic person that was good at football and then you step on a basketball court. And yes, you're naturally athletic and you know a couple of things, but you don't know the basics of playing the sport that you're in. So it's not that we've been debating how to do a layup. No. And there's nothing wrong with coming back around and saying, I'm going to work on the fundamentals. But the fundamentals are the fundamentals. These are fundamental questions to the Christian faith. And again, I love Pastor Rich's heart, but these are fundamental. These are these are, these are are layups, in my opinion. This is the layup of the Christian faith. And if you're coming out on the court and you don't know how to do a layup, the coach is going to get you to get those things foundationally correct first. Right? Hopefully you're tracking with me. So let, let's go back to this. You're saying, hey, hey, in this space, it's a safe spot for you to go, hmm, what does that mean? That's why you got to be in a great church. That's why you got to be around wonderful people. That's why you got to be in a community. I always kind of, whenever someone says safe space, anything. <laughs> people that are pointing you to God, because it's not every way leads to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's, what, that's what he said. Amen. So since he said that, now what does that mean for my life? So, so it's okay with this wrestle, this struggle, this questioning. I, I, I like it. Well, you're even bringing up maybe one of the most polarizing scripture verses in all the Bible, which is in its form and in its sound, the most exclusive thing that Christ ever said, which is he said, there's only one way. And some might say that's very... Uh, hold on real quick. Shout out to Ray Rock. He said, are they saying that there's enough people sharing about God's righteous wrath and in turn feel that marketing the benefits of Jesus conquering sin and a grave is more appealing to the unsaved? I think it's on both. I think I think we have to tell people the truth. That that That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you can't just give people an incomplete picture. you got to give them the reality of the whole thing. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at. I don't know if that's what they're saying. If that's kind of what Bianca said, kind of, right? Uh so I think we have to tell people the complete picture. There, yes, it's it's all the above. Exclusive, and that seems like it's cutting people out. But once again, I think words have more meaning and they have connotations. I don't look at it as an exclusive statement. I look at it as a specific statement. That if there's one way to my house, and if you're up in Orlando, 
It's kind of the same thing, though, right? Specific, exclusive, they're kind of one and the same. I think we don't want to f- seem exclusive, but we it is exclusive. Is it not? Anything that is valuable is scarce. It's ex- it's it's exclusive by nature, right? And, and, and a relationship with Jesus is valuable, therefore it is scarce, therefore it is exclusive. That's not necessarily a bad thing. In the marketing world, in the product world, right, all of these different things – uh, uh, are driven by scarcity and being exclusive. High fashion, which um, a lot of these brothers know a lot about, is driven by it being exclusive. Limited drops that are exclusive, that's what drives the value of it up. So um, exclusive, specific, I think we're kind of, you know, it, it, we get, we're getting into semantics. I, I don't know if it's it's that big of a deal. Um, but I don't have no problem with saying, yes, yeah, it's, it's exclusive. It's, it, it's ex- members only. It's exclusive. You can get in on it, but it's exclusive. Rich is saying it's specific. I'm not mad at that. I think it's on both semantics. You got to come south to get to my house. And if I just let you keep driving north, am I being exclusive or am I being loving by telling you the way how to get home? And so I think we have to start to learn this. But, but, but see, there's only one address to Pastor Rich's house. There's only one address. That's an exclusive address. It's not the whole block. It's, not, it's one address, you know? Stuff that Jude and I did a session yesterday about grace and truth. And I love that old quote that, you know, um, truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. Come on. So we are trying to sort out how to deliver something in a loving way, but still give the truth. And just on this notion, because we're talking about salvation a little bit, Scripture says it's by grace through faith that we're saved. So, Chad, just just for a moment, talk about that verse and just talk a little bit about how one is saved and how this is different from just I just – I just have good thoughts and I'm just thinking happy things. And I go to – people say all the time – I get done preaching like, man, I just like your vibe, bro. I love, I love who's vibe, bro. And I'm like, cool. We are so happy. Love our vibe, but we're Jesus people. And it's not just mind over matter here. And it's Come not on. just positive teaching. It's not Come just on. good principles. There's, there's salvation. How is one saved? Yeah, I love that. Uh, you know, years ago I heard you. Yo, why does, uh, hold on. Who is the guy? I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to clown, but all, uh, Chad looks just like, um, Chad looks like this guy. Am I tripping? I feel like Chad looks like this actor right here. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm bugging. Uh, it's this the star from the um the the House of Gucci. Why is that not playing? That's weird. Anyway, uh, let me let me go on. Here, Rich is uh Rich is Leonardo DiCaprio, and 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 Chad is the guy from the the House of Gucci. It is not playing my thing for some reason that's so weird anyway it's all good preach the divine order that really helped me i don't i didn't realize how much i was still under the law as a christian i didn't realize that i had still been conditioned for works and i was living as a believer now good-hearted reading my bible as a minister i didn't realize i was still under a law mentality we have to understand that the difference between law and grace literally is the first time the law is preached three thousand people die the first time grace is preached three thousand people is saved the law kills grace saves so you use Ephesians 2 eight, for it is by grace we've been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves. this is the gift of God. So we have to understand salvation is a gift. It is a gift, what God did for us on the cross by giving us his one and only son, Jesus giving us his life. No one took his life, he gave his life. Amen. By him giving us his life and through his death and resurrection, for it is by grace, the grace of God. Grace is not a principle, it's a person. He is grace. So it is by grace, it is by Jesus we have been saved through our faith in Jesus. 
I think we have to be careful because a lot of Christians, we make so much. He said, grace is a person. Uh, hmm. Grace is a person. Grace is a gift, right? So I was like, uh, I don't know about that. I, I like that, but the whole like grace is a person thing kind of kind of is throwing me off. It's, it's not wrong. It's, it's just kind of personally throwing me off a bit. About our faith. We worship our faith. I got crazy big faith. But my crazy big faith is just in grace. Come on. Grace is the big deal, not me. We have to be very careful not to make faith the main person. That's not the main person. Jesus is. Mm -hmm. so for it's by grace we've been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. So if I always look as grace as a gift, I always treat it just like, wow, it's undeserved blessing. It's unmerited favor. I couldn't earn my way, work my way, read my way, pray my way, tithe my way, and to be good with God. It's all a grace gift. That's good. It's beautiful. And I hope what you're hearing there is that even the faith that you have today is a gift from God. So the faith to believe is first an act of God's grace. What is grace by definition? It's the unmerited favor of God. It's I like I like uh, I like Chad here uh, uh, and and Rich here. There, this is a he said even faith is a gift from God. This is a, this is very reformed uh, speaking right here, right? Like even the ability to believe, even the ability to have faith, is 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 uh, is a gift from God. So if you go and listen to like Soteriology 101 and you start hearing some of the non-reformed conversations, it, this is, it can get, it get a little interesting here. So it get a little, uh, not, I don't say divided, but like difference, difference of views on this, uh, Dr. Layton Flowers. So it's interesting that they're taking, in this regard, taking a, a, believe it or not, a more Calvinistic Soteriology to salvation, which is not something you would expect from uh, Chad and, 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 and Rich. Even faith is a gift. So how much of it is a choice, right? Like how much of it is a choice, how much of it is, is a response, so on and so forth. It's, a, it's, a interesting, it's interesting to hear them use these types of language. The sending of Jesus in the form of you and I. And as Bianca was talking about this idea of sin, I'm separated from God. Jesus comes as the only atoning sacrifice. That's a big word. It just means he takes my place. He was spotless. I can't die for you and save you. I can save you maybe physically. I can't save you eternally because I'm full of sin. I'm not a good sacrifice to take your place. We needed one who was born righteous, lived righteous. His name's Jesus. And he walked the earth for 33 years. And then he willingly laid down his life as an act of grace on a cross, stretched wide, hung high, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, brutally died your death for your sin. Hmm. This is what we have to see. So, so your death for your sin, right? Pastor Rich, is, it, 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 he's, 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 he's hitting here. We want to make much out of Jesus. Come on. I, I love getting good tips and I love principles, but... What we are surrounding and why we're gathering and why we're doing a conference is because this man named Jesus saved my soul. He bridged the gap between me and God. Now I have relationship with my maker, not just here and now, but I'm promised heaven ever after in relationship with him. So, That's so good. Salvation is a beautiful thing. And scripture says that when we're saved, we become a new creation. Mm -hmm. So like the old man is dead. What I want to talk about a little bit is how come I'm a new creation, but sometimes I do stupid old stuff. There's this word he brought up called sanctification. Can you just help us define what that is for everybody in here who's not going, okay. I'll give you, I'll give you my analogy, and this is what I, what, what I say to my students. <laughs> I want to borrow your hat. What I say to my students. I want to borrow your hat. I love it. Yeah, I love uh, Pastor Rich definitely uh, knocked it out of the park there. Uh, is, is, Dr. Tennyson a hat. Sanctification just means being set apart, right? But that God in the Bible would set things apart, that this was for this use and not for that use. Yeah. So the temple is only to be used for sacrifice. You don't get to play laser tag at it, right? Yeah. It's just for this. Come on. Utensils in the temple are this. Priests aren't farmers. Priests aren't soldiers. They're sanctified. They're set apart. They're just there to be priests. So imagine that you had to share a refrigerator with someone, right? 
because I'll speak to college students, they all have dorm, dorm rooms, right? They all share a refrigerator. Or you have a work, you have a work refrigerator. You bring food to that refrigerator, you don't want anyone else to eat. What do you do to that food? I mean, you write your name on it. You just sanctified your food. <laughs> By writing your name on it, you were setting that food apart. This food has the word Alan on it. It's not your food. It's yeah. my food. Come on. And when the Bible talks about us being sanctified, we are set apart by God as if God has taken us. He's written his name on us. And he said, this isn't for the world's use. This isn't for Satan's use. And to your point, this isn't even for my use. Yeah. I am being sanctified. I'm set apart. But now I have to learn how to live into that. I have to learn how to walk into that. Yeah. And what I want to piggyback on is what you said, because 100, 200, 300 percent, we are saved by grace. We are still saved by grace. I don't come in by grace now, but then I have to earn it later. Yep. And I never reach a point where I say, well, you know what? I kind of deserve this. No, it is always by grace. My sanctification isn't me earning grace. My sanctification is simply me experiencing the grace to be set apart by God for his use. Yo, this is great. Uh, it definitely feels like Pastor Rich was like, look, let me, uh, let me just go ahead and answer all the questions in his last little monologue. <laughs> just glue it all together and then tee it off to the theology professor on the stage. That was, that was awesome. That was great. <laughs> oh, shoot. Hold on. That's so beautiful. I'm going to be crazy and tag that. Uh, we have three kids, my, my wife and I. Love you, honey. And uh, our first one, Parker, we had him biologically. But since we were in college, we always dreamed about adopting. And uh, so our second child is adopted. Hmm. And our third uh, child is adopted. And it's just the best, you know. It's just the best thing in the entire world. And our, our daughter actually is like half white, half Latina, and but she still looks like my wife. So we don't know how that happened. Uh, <laughs> and my wife's straight chocolate, too. So we don't know how God did all of that, but, but he did. But there's something beautiful about that adoption. When we went to the, uh, the courthouse and they're reading this paperwork and they're saying it's in there. It's as if L. Grace was born to you. The, the transfer that happens in that moment. Mm. I start crying right now thinking about it. And then I think, wait, we're adopted by God? Yeah. There is that, that name is written on us. We, we are his. Come on. Now, will we live in it? Because my, my Grayson, and he, he's great with this L7, so I think she's still figuring it out. Grayson, our, our middle, he's 12. So he's like, Dad, I love that I'm adopted. Mm. I lo you know, he, he's like embracing this. But how many of us sometimes don't embrace like what God has done? We're not like, we, like, we don't really believe it. It's like, yeah, but, but don't I need to earn it? Don't, don't I need to be better? Don't I need to be more perfect? Don't I need to get everything right? I messed up last night, so there must be some disconnection. God's like, no, it doesn't work that way. The gavel already dropped. I already wrote my name. I already rose from the dead. You belong to me. I just wish we would really fall into that a whole lot more and believe it and walk in it. And, and, and the key here that I, th I think they could have went deeper on is walk in it. You're adopted into a royal family. Act accordingly. Okay, it's going to be messy. It's going to take you a little bit of uh, understanding to, 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 to figure out that now you're a citizen of heaven, you're a child of the king, but now you have to act accordingly. No one gets adopted into a, a royal family and continues living like a peasant, continues doing the same things, continues behaving the same way, right? And so I think that's the, that's the one part that, that I wish they could have went deeper on. Uh, and I'm going to be unpacking this in my after-party stream, reacting to some of Judah's message. But that's the one part where I feel like that's a, yes, 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 amen. We are adopted. Now let's act like it. Now let's live like it. 
right? Because if you all of a sudden heir to the, to the throne, but you don't live, and I'm not talking financial, like I'm just I'm just speaking just straight metaphor wise. If you're an heir to a throne, you gotta get you gotta then get yourself in order. Like you gotta then be who you're called to be. Live in your new identity. Take on the last name of the family and not be the person that's an orphan any longer. And I think when we don't explain that, when we don't go in on that, and and maybe and maybe it is when we don't have an understanding of what sin is, when we don't have an understanding of what we were saved from, therefore we don't know how we are to act now that we are grafted into the family of God, into the royal priesthood of God. So that's the part that that that, that I think people are wrestling with and it, and it, and it's all connected, right? Like the things you believe are going to determine the way you behave. Right, what you believe will determine who you become. What you believe will determine on if you choose to belong. And so, if we're not getting these basic foundational things right, of course we're gonna have a bunch of people wrestling with sin. And, ah, I just can't seem to stop, you know, looking at my sleeping with my girlfriend, smoking weed, looking at porn, lying, stealing, cutting corners, cheating on my taxes, so on and so forth. Well, because you don't, we don't know the the foundations of some of this stuff. Right. And, and, and so it's real easy just to dismiss it of like, you're lukewarm. You should know better. Yeah, but they don't know better because there's this kind of soft omitted version of the gospel. Anyway, let's keep going. This idea of, of sanctification that we've been set apart by God, he put his name on us and then living in it like that, that. That's a struggle. And that idea of sanctification is the process of becoming like the one who has named us. Come on. Judah, maybe just for a moment, just talk. See, yo, Pastor Rich just keeps cleaning these things up, man. I love it. I love it. You could you could tell that he's definitely the in my in my opinion, outside of the professor on that stage, arguably him and him and Chad probably probably the most theologically sound and grounded about that process and how we should respond when we fall back and have moments of sin when we're struggling with sin when we're struggling with an addiction. Can we just Share about that a little bit. Well, I think it's it's a misappropriation of our posture and position that we've been given, right? So the process of sanctification. It's a misappropriation of the posture and position that we've been given. It's, what? I, did, did that just go over my head? Am I? Let me pull this back. Did I just, am I? Let's listen. And how we should respond when we fall back and have moments of sin, when we're struggling with sin, when we're struggling with an addiction. Can we just share about that a little bit? So... He has a very specific question. When we're struggling with sin, when we're struggling with an addiction. If you guys don't know, we have a, a, a free course here available. Uh, where is it? Oh, goodness. That's not, mastermyhabits.com, all, all about helping people struggling with addiction to get over their addiction. Freedom-forming habits, forming better addictions, right? So he asks them a very specific question, and the response is kind of like, okay, I don't, I'm not quite – I don't know if he's going to answer the question, or I don't know what, what this opening statement means. Well, I think it's it's a misappropriation of our posture and position that we've been given, right? So the pro- it's a misappropriation of our posture and position that we've been given. That sounds slick, but what is what does that actually mean? The process of sanctification starts with position, and then there comes practice. But oftentimes, we believe that the practice determines our position, right? So the Bible says, uh, "He who knew no sin became sin." Second Corinthians five twenty one. That, that that those of us who are sinful might become the righteousness of God. 
listen, in Christ Jesus. So, so, so my position, and I'll, I'll talk about this tonight because I always do, is I am by definition hidden in Christ, which means I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But the problem is, is we put so much emphasis on practice, 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 practice. And I'm a practical man because I'm just a guy. Of course we're practical. But sometimes we're so practical, we're of no spiritual good. We have to understand the magical, mystery, mystical ways of God. that his Magical, mystery, mystical ways of God. Given <laughs> me my eternal position in Christ Jesus. And, you know, great thinkers and theologians and philosophers as Earl said, have all discussed this and debated this, but I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. A, a posture of seating is finished, done, completed, right? It's done. And that's why Jesus, to explain why he had knucklehead friends, drug dealers, and pimps, and prostitutes, because the, the, the guys at the churches were like, yo, you can't have these friends. And he's like, let me tell you a story about God. And he says, there's a coin collector, and then there's a shepherd with sheep, and then there's this dude with two sons, and da, 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 da. And then he gets to the end of the story, and he's like, but the one son who was wayward, his practice was in error. He came back to the house, and he did what we all do when it comes, when our practice goes in error, we assume, we make huge assumptions. If you're ever going to be a good theologian, and we're all theologians, you've got to stop making assumptions, right? Assumptions are going to, they're going to, at least at the best, they're going to stall good development of theology, right? And, and, and the son comes back and he assumes, he says in his prepared speech to the father, which again is a made up story Jesus made up. It didn't actually happen, but Jesus made it up to reveal his character. He said, the boy says to the father, I just make me an employee because I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And that's where we got to step in and say, how did you become a son or a daughter? By birth or worth? It was by birth. That's why Jesus said, you must be birthed, born again into the kingdom. You're not, you're not, you're not uh, developed into the kingdom. You're not earned into the kingdom. You don't practice your way into the kingdom. You're birthed into the kingdom. And that position is secure. So when a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up again. That posture and position will inform your practice, not the inverted. Honest question. Honest question. Did he, did, he, did he answer Pastor Rich's question? Hey, if you're still struggling, if you're still struggling, if you're saved, but you're still struggling with addiction and sin, how do you deal with that? Did he answer his question? Because I think what he pointed people back to, which is, Know your position, know your identity in Christ, know that you are an adopted new heir to the throne. You've been born again into the family of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes. Positioning. Amen. But if you continue on living like the world and acting like the world and talking like the world and thinking like the world, right? Romans 12, one says, do not be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind, Right? So if you're stuck with patterns of sin, we're not talking, I had a long day, I'm tired, my children said something and I was upset and I reacted emotionally and, and it wasn't a good look and daddy had to apologize to his kids. That's different. That's a, that's a, that's a right? And by the way, this isn't, this isn't a pattern. These things happen. You're walking through and you stub your toe and yell out the F word. I don't know, Right. It's different. It's it's but but when we're talking about patterns of addiction, sinning and basking in the glory of your sin as if that is how you are to live, right? How does someone break out of that? How does someone break out of that? It's not just knowledge of positioning. There's a lot of folks that know that they're children of God that are addicted to drugs. There's a lot of people that know that they're children of God that are addicted to porn. There's a lot of people that know that, right? And so it's like you can't just keep believe, 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 believe revelation, it has to go into some sort of tangible process of sanctification. And that's what the question is about. How do we walk in the process of sanctification when 
we are born again, but still struggling. And he didn't really answer the question, in my opinion. He just, he said a bunch of fly stuff. Like it sounded like magical, mystical, metaphorical, lyrical, miracle, <laughs> lyrical, miracle, spiritual, analytical, political, right? Like he gave me a bunch of cool stuff and, that's, and, it's, and, and, and it wasn't bad. But I think there's a very specific question of like, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're struggling with sin, how do we deal with that? Okay, well, how, how I've dealt with it is a combination of therapy, a combination of all kinds of things. Then I hired my Christian therapist to help us and develop a mastermyhabits.com course so that it could be a free utility to people who are struggling and addicted to things. We could practice the law of replacement. We can practice the law of removal, of, of purging things in our areas. It's, it's, it's a mindset. like like it, it, Addiction is, is, is a serious issue. A lot of people don't know what that looks like right? Renewing your mind. And it's a holistic process, right? So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? Right? I, I don't know if pointing us back to the adoption thing that was just said was the, was, was the answer, in my opinion. I love, love, I love what you're talking about. And this is very, very important because even in the mystery of it all, and even in the supernatural process of what's taking place, there's actually something quite practical. And what you'll see, there's a practical, and I'm a practical person. So I'm looking for handles and things of how I can apply it. Come on. What he is saying that you need to hear is that you first need to get the right belief Yep. because our living flows out of our believing. But he's also saying that when which, what you believe will determine how you behave. It's another way to put it. When you struggle or when you make a mistake, don't sit there and wallow in your shame. Yep. Come back home and remind yourself of your identity. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's no shame. There's no, oh, woe is me, I'll, oh, right? You, you got you to move away from that. That you're a child of God. And I think it's so fitting because if, if you'll read Paul's letters like over and over again, he's got the same message. In fact, he has the same pattern in almost all of his letters. He starts lots of times with the supremacy, the centrality, the beauty of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then his last kind of chapter will be practical living, how to run your marriage, how to... Right. How to he starts with theology and then he goes into praxology. Absolutely. Talk right, what you shouldn't be doing, but it's all based first and foremost out of Jesus' grace. But he'll say over and over again, I want to remind you of the gospel because we're forgetful people. And a lot of us today, it's like you come to a conversation to, to be reminded that you are a child of God. What's beautiful, I don't know if we have enough time to talk about it, but we serve a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Coexistent, co-eternal. Maybe in a moment we'll give Dr. Tennyson a moment just to kind of weigh in about that because that's a big thing to grapple with. But God the Father, we know, sent the Son. The Son came. And then as the Son leaves the earth, he says, I'm sending you one for what? to remind you of me. It's the Holy Spirit. Maybe just for a moment, Bianca, let's just talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer in 2022 and how necessary this is for us personally, how important this is for our churches, yeah. for pastors and leaders. That's a great question. And I love, and I love this because the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, is what gives the born again believer the advantage, the edge, whatever you want to call it, as the world consistently keeps struggling, as the world borrows from God with things like the 12-step program, which by the way was a Christian formulated things, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. You've been born again. You had a heart of stone, 
You were spiritually dead. God takes away the heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh, fills you with his Holy Spirit, seals you, and now there is a miraculous, transformative power that's happened in the life of a believer. You are convicted of sin. You have a new trajectory for your life. Things change. That's what, the, that's what it means to believe and repent. Repent and believe. Your repent is to change the trajectory, right? So the Holy Spirit is what comes in us and teaches us all things, transforms us from the inside out, makes us new creatures, is born again. The, the the spirit of the living God is now living in the in the body of the believer, and that's when people mean what the scales fell from my eyes. I was blind, now I see. I was dead, now I feel alive. I saw the world in black and white, and everything kind of illuminated in color. That is what the Holy Spirit's role is, and it's and it's and it's so much more than just reducing it to a a, a specific gift that you prefer. It's so much more than 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 anything we can quantify with words. It is literally what helps us walk through this sanctification process. So a little backstory. I was raised in a conservative household. And so it was Father, Son, Holy Bible. Loved it. But I, I knew God's word. I was passionate about worship. I was doing all the things that a good Christian would do. But it was at the age of 24 where I heard somebody talk about in a workshop on the Holy Spirit. And it was always something that was weird to me. I had a, an odd encounter when I was 16 at a youth group. And I'm like, if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't want anything. It was just yeah. crazy. And um, But yet hearing the theology of the power that we possess as followers of Jesus it, it didn't make me excited. I grieved because I was like, why has no one ever spoke to me about the power that we possess as Christians? We are walking around half-baked lives when we, the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the grave is alive in us. Let me tell you something that I see for the church. In July, 50 years ago, this July will mark 50 years ago that the Los Angeles Times wrote an article about the way and the Jesus people. And what I am hearing so much growing up in church is, well, when revival happened, when revival happened, when revival happened. I'm looking around at this generation and I'm saying, why aren't we begging God to do it again? Do it again, God. We're talking about signs, wonders, and miracles. It, it, it isn't doctrine or theology necessarily that's drawing people back to Christ. It is people witnessing the move of God. That's a bold statement on her part. Okay, this is where I kind of like, Ugh. it isn't doctrinal theology that's driving people people back to God. Ah, fam. Mm, let's pull this back. This is, yeah, this is, I'm like, uh, Pastor Rich, help. And do it again, God. We're talking about signs, wonders, and miracles. It, it, signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, I got a couple Bible verses here. It isn't doctrine or theology necessarily that's drawing people back to Christ. It is people witnessing a move of God. And so I'm sitting here thinking, why are we not testifying of the goodness of God of what yeah. he's done in our life? Yesterday, Sister Dole was prophesying. I know some of us came from different backgrounds. I get it. But what she was saying that tonight you are going to have great sleep. Tonight the terrors are gone. Tonight fear is gone. She was prophesying. Prophesy, speak life. She was speaking life over us. And what I want to do is demonstrate miracles. So I'm asking you right now, by a show of hands, no, don't raise your hands to be cool. You ain't got a cool, you ain't got a lot to kick it. But how many, how many have had night terrors? How many have been tormented at night? How many have anxiety kept them up? And yet last night, last night after Doe prophesied, you slept well. By a show of hands, will you testify? What we're seeing right now, church, this is miracles. We need to open our mouth and tell a dying world, God has met me and he could do the same for you. I'm crazy enough, I'm schwitzing, I don't even care. I'm crazy enough to believe this, that Jesus said the things that I have done, you will do these and greater. I'm obsessed with the greater. At the expense of sounding hyper charismatic, and I, I, have, I believe that there is a mandate on this generation to provide theology around experience and experience around theology, where we get to explain what the spirit of God is doing. Paul spoke about it, why can't we? We don't have to be kooky crazy to experience the presence of God. What I want for this generation is to know 
I've got, I've got power inside of me. And I'm going to believe God to use my life to demonstrate his goodness on this earth. That to me is what just lights me. So there's a couple of things here that, that I think this, I, by the way, just so we're fully clear, I am a charismatic believer. Okay. A follower of Jesus, meaning I believe the gifts of the spirit are for today. Okay. I believe God can heal. I believe God can move in supernatural ways. I believe God can uh, uh, give people spiritual gifts. I believe God can speak through people, so on and so forth. Okay. Um, so, so the question is about the Holy Spirit. And I think in this, the, the, yeah, but, but, but <laughs> thank you, Maria, but I am charismatic with the seatbelt. And what is that seatbelt? That seatbelt is the word of God. That seatbelt is scripture. That seatbelt is proper, proper understanding of what scripture is saying and what church history has testified to. So theology around experience and experience that points to theology. So, so, so here's a couple, here's, here's a couple of thoughts, right? This idea that, that people will only, not only, but people are more likely to come to God if there is a miraculous move of God. Um, it, re- it instantly reminds me of this passage, and this, is, this isn't to dunk on her, but this passage instantly comes to mind. My buddy John Clash just referenced this in a, passage, in a video as well. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So Jesus is saying that there are going to be people who do miracles, people who prophesy in his name, people who cast out demons in his name. However, Jesus never knew them. That that's a scary picture there. Okay. Secondly, I think about the parable of 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 Lazarus, right? And I think about the rich man who who uh, uh, had his fill in this life, and then Lazarus was was a, was a beggar, and then all of a sudden Lazarus is is being comforted, and and this this rich man is being tormented in hell. And what does he say? He says, "Hey, you know, I think he's talking to Abraham, and he says, let me just go back and tell people that these things are happening.'" Right, the, 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 don't come here. Put put your faith in in God, and 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 Jesus says, or or the story goes, even if a man were to come back from the grave, these folks still wouldn't believe. Right, even if you, even if even if a, if if a person comes back from the grave, they and perform the ultimate miracle, that's not enough. These people had the law and the prophets. And, and and it's like this weird foreshadowing where Jesus literally comes back from the grave and people still didn't believe. Jesus comes back from the grave and he shows himself to over 500 people at one point. Jesus comes back from the grave and spends 40 days on earth repeatedly showing himself to people. So the notion that signs and wonders is what's going to cause revival is not there in scripture. It's the preaching of the gospel as well as the born again miracle of people transforming and, and, and people being reconciled. And yes, signs and wonders oftentimes followed you know, in, in the book of Acts and throughout church history and all kinds of gifts. So I think that's where I go, wait a minute, hold on a second. It, it's not all about signs and wonders. It's not all about this, it, because if signs and wonders happens, then revival will happen. This is very uh, uh, Bethel church, hyper charismatic stuff. And, and I will go, slow your roll a second. Slow your roll a second. The ultimate salve, the ultimate miracle is, is someone that's born again. The ultimate, the ultimate sign and wonder is somebody completely dead 
in their sins and is now born again and is a new creature and has a new trajectory for life. Second of all, how are these signs and wonders going to be displayed? And what does that actually look like? Because if we're honest, a lot of times what it what it looks like in this context, I'm not saying her specifically, and what it's looked like historically is usually one or two people on stage and a crowd of people hovered around them. And there's the guy with the Avengers powers and there's a bunch of people and there's usually a really soft and romantic emotional song to Jesus and people are experiencing a move of God. And I'm not saying God can't use that. I'm not saying that God can't I'm not saying that God can't uh, 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 do miracles in that context. But what I'm saying is if that's our only context for a move of God is people standing around singing love songs to Jesus that are tend to be very feminine and and and, and men tend not to like if we're going to be honest. And and, and, and and there's one or two people on stage that have the Avengers powers and they're doing these things and they got these words. Um, I don't know if that is how the spirit broke out in the book of Acts where it was all kinds of people prophesying and speaking in different languages and all these different things. So I think even in our modern context, we still reduce it to a very specific type of move of God. And we think, well, that's what's going to, that's what's going to, 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 to the signs and wonders and all that. kind. Of, it's like, well, fam, first of all, if, if, if revival breaks out, what I think is, in my opinion, is a bigger testament, it's my opinion, is if thousands of people get born again, restored, and, and, and placed in in a, in a in a completely different trajectory of life, the miracle of salvation on a thousand people than a thousand people being in a church building and people falling out and crying and so on and so forth, right? And again, I believe in healing. I believe that God can heal. I believe that God can give spiritual gifts. I believe God's still prophesying through people today. But regeneration is is the biggest sign and wonder, not these kind of evangelical revival experiences, so on and so forth, right? And so I, I, I think I think to reduce it to this is a bit short-sighted in my opinion. And that part really kind of bugged me. The It just kind of bugged me. It's just like, fam, it's not just this sensational, emotional move of God. And, and, and let's be real, a lot of times these emotional moves of God have been fabrications. There's been fake healings. There's been fake people passing out. There's been people who've faked the gift of tongues. There's been people, right? So, you know, if you really think we're going to do greater things in Jesus and assuming Jesus meant that literally, because I got to, I'll give you how I think, how it, I think it could work. But if you think that, well, the power of the kingdom of heaven is in you. And Jesus said, speak to this mountain and it will move and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, fam, go down to your local hospital, walk into the children's cancer ward. And go heal a bunch of kids. If that's what you think Jesus meant. And if you don't do it, then it's your faith. Then it's your faith that's not causing you to do it. Or is it possible that that's not what he meant? Is it possible that maybe there were signs and wonders for very specific parts of history? Maybe there were signs and wonders for very specific parts of the world, right? Where they didn't have maybe modern medicine. So God had to heal people supernaturally, right? This whole idea, we're going to do things greater. We're going to do things this. We're going to do this. Oh, slow down a second. What does that mean? Is it could it could it possibly mean this? Could it possibly mean that the collective body of Christ throughout all of history, throughout all of all collectively we're going to do greater things, greater things like what? Like build hospitals, like make incredible breakthroughs in education, 
like help make the entire world become literate because we wanted to further the gospel and in, 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 in the ink press getting it, getting that out to more people and getting more people educated? Does that does, is, is it possible that that means uh, uh, churches building more hospitals so that more people can get healed? Because Jesus is the great physician, but we also are, are have been on the cutting edge of modern medicine, and being on the cutting edge of medicine have allowed us to scale at how much our medical system has healed people. Is it possible that Christians leading in society is what Jesus meant as greater? Not that you will have cool magical powers like an Avengers Christian superhero and be able to walk and go, healed, you're healed, right? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Again, not to say that God can't heal. I know somebody, our, our, our worship pastor, he had a very specific type of leukemia and our church prayed for him and we believed and by the grace of God that, that, that leukemia mutated and it turned into some type of thing where he just has to take one pill for the rest of his life and he'll be fine, right? I've seen God do these like miraculous things. I'm not saying miracles don't happen, but I'm saying this notion that like a, a move of the Holy Spirit has to be Signs and wonders. What about the signs and wonders of families being restored? What about the signs and wonders of marriages being restored? What about the signs and wonders of people who are in poverty and then change the trajectory of their life and all of a sudden they have abundance and they're able to give more and they're able to take care of their own family and they're able to take care of the single mothers? You don't think those are signs of wonders? You don't think someone like me that comes from the slums of poverty? I'm talking, fam, I come from a communist nation. We come to America. I'm raised in a single parent home. My mother is an alcoholic. Okay, single mother, I got arrested at the age of 11. You don't think that me being in the position where I'm at today financially, you don't think that that's not a, that's not a sign and my life isn't a sign of wonder. It has to be this goosebumps, piano got to be playing, people got to be falling out. Like, you don't think that the, the, the trajectory of someone that was hell-bent on going to hell and, and com- that completely restores them. And, and, and puts them back in a proper standing. But now my mother's not, no longer an alcoholic. Me and my father's relationship is, is reconciled. I'm no longer addicted to porn. I'm no longer the person I was. You don't think that's, that's not a sign and wonder? What's a bigger testimony? What's the bigger people falling out and on the, on the floor? Like, so, so, so even though they're saying don't put, don't put the Holy Spirit in a box, what are we doing? We're putting the Holy Spirit in a box. We're putting the Holy Spirit in the box. We're putting the Holy Spirit in a nice little tight little safe. He has to move in this way. Even though they're saying, no, 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 let, let, let the Holy Spirit do Yeah, let the Holy Spirit do what he do. But but as long as he moves in this specific way, not in the measurable of, uh, of, of the signs and wonders over decades. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for the Spirit of God. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for signs and wonders in my heart being regenerated, me getting into a local church, me getting around community, me being discipled, right? And it's not, and it's not even me. It's, it, it literally is the sign of wonder of a regenerated, born again, completely changed life. So, you know, I hear stuff like that and I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. She comes from a fundamental background, Father, Son, Holy Bible. They didn't do it. Okay, that's fine. I come from a very charismatic church. We've seen people get healed, Okay. But the ultimate healing, don't, 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 don't you think it's just all about signs and wonders? The ultimate healing is salvation. The ultimate healing is a life that was that was headed towards one way and is born again. And it is anchored on the the the, the foundations of the gospel. We're sinners and, and 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 sinners deserve judgment. Criminals deserve judgment. We're, we're saved from a, 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 a holy wrath of God that we deserve, right? 
and 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 and, and that Jesus says you could either stand before God and try to, you know, deal with your own sin, or I'm gonna do something better. I'm gonna send. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come live the life you couldn't live, die the death you should have died, on the cross in your place rise on the third day, conquer death, demons, destruction, and then send you my Holy Spirit so that you can be born again, so that you can continue on the ministry of reconciliation. That's that's an incredible sign of wonder. And by the way, if God wants to heal people, praise God. If God wants to heal broken arms, amazing. If God wants to heal people of cancer, amazing. And I believe it happens. I just don't think that's what's going to be the thing that that, that causes revival. I think revival is going to come as a byproduct of us ha- being, in a way Pastor Rich described, being full of grace and truth. You, you, you got to tell people the truth for the grace to make sense. Because if you're just giving them the grace and you have a new life and God is going to do cool things through you and you have a, a soul that's halfway... No, no, no. You got to also tell them the truth. Fam, you're a sinner. And left to your own devices, you're going to choose your sin hundred out of a hundred times. You need to be born again. You need to be transformed. Right? I think that's the that's the message, in my opinion, this generation needs. Because they know and they've seen that this whole live your truth, whatever you feel on the inside. However you want to, right? Like we're seeing how that's playing out. And and by the way, it's only going to get worse. There's no objective reality. Live your truth. Gender affirming nonsense. Wait five or 10 years. It's already happening in UK. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people waking up to the nonsense of sex positivity, waking up to the nonsense of gender, queer nonsense, waking up to this stuff. And, 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 And these kids that are going through it now, that are taking things that are going to like... Wisdom will be proven right by our children. Give it five or ten years, and you'll really see how how depra- depraved and how desperate this generation of kids is going to be. And so, um, I appreciated Pastor Rich's heart in this. I love I love this clip. I love that he's having these conversations. I think these are so necessary to have. Um, I love that he had a doctor of of theology on this panel. I hope and pray that these brothers would leverage their platforms in areas where maybe they're not super solid. We get it, bro. You got the platform. You're the cool guy. You're wearing a freaking sports coat with swim trunks. Good for you, bud. Amazing. I, I would I would pray that they would have the self-awareness to say, we need to bring more seasoned believers around us. We need to stop just having a stage full of four out of the five people on stage with the same exact avatar. You know what I mean? Like we we literally dress the same. You could you could swap any of their outfits and their whole style and aesthetic and, and change the things they say and it would, it would and it would work. I would I would pray that we would see more brothers on these uh, uh, platforms um, that are solid in theology that 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 that, that love Jesus um, that, that, that that don't think they're false heretics and and false teachers and all that stuff because I, I don't believe that about them. You know I, th- I think they're trying to figure it out. Um, but we cannot teach this omitted, incomplete gospel. We, 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 we can't do that. Like, like, we have to stop with this, like, sin is the, it's the thing that separates. Like, no, be specific. What do you save from? I don't know ourselves. Like, be specific. You're saved from the wrath of God. So anyway, those are my thoughts on this. You guys asked me uh, to react to this. I, I love that Pastor Rich is having these conversations. If you would like to see me react to some other videos with regards to this conversation. We'll pin them up over here and over here. And I will link you guys over to the Bless God Studios where we'll have more conversations like this, a little more slower pace, reaction videos, sit down type of conversations. I'll see you over there, all right? Peace.